great day. Great day to be with the body of Christ. The Lord's day, the first day of the week, our day of worship, our day of fellowship with one another. Stan, I'm sorry I was not in here for the announcements uh, total. Uh, we did get the Monday, Thursday service announced. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, it was scheduled a little bit late, and just, uh, but uh, that's a great service. Uh, I encourage you to come out. It's uh, kind of a solemn occasion because what we have to do at Monday, Thursday is forget that we know the rest of the story in order to experience the intensity of that moment, Jesus and his disciples. So, home may be where the heart is, but Jesus is the only home for a troubled heart. The background of the text this morning, uh, yeah, we, okay, I'm sorry. I was looking out for the kids to make sure we got them released. I'm sorry. Jesus is preparing his disciples. He's getting close to completing that mission that we spoke of in children's sermon, that mission on earth. He's still on task, by the way, uh, sitting at the right hand of the Father as our great high priest interceding on our behalf. But Christ will also assure his disciples, his followers, that even after he has departed, they will not be alone. And later in chapter 14, we would see the promise of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 16, our Lord will have much more to say about the arrival of the Holy Spirit. So, so we, have, uh, uh, we, we have chosen, we've looked at this text, and we're going to have to hit the ground running. we got quite a little bit to cover, but I trust God will put in order those things which we need to learn this morning. So if you would like to stand, please. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Father, I pray that uh, you are honored by the reading of your word. And we pause now to ask that the, the power of this text, the authority that's found in these words, would impact our lives like never before. And that we would understand just how important it is to know who this Jesus is. And by knowing him, by knowing him, 
we may have eternal life with him. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. By way of introduction, we're going to look here at three guarantees that Christ begins with in the text. And we could probably pull more, but I've reduced it to these three as a way of introducing uh, uh, the exclusive claims that we'll spend time examining. So in these three guarantees, Jesus, number one, says, I go. He's going somewhere. He's going somewhere. And we, of course, know where that is. But did his disciples at the time fully understand that? So guarantee number one is, I go. This speaks of a specific destination. Guarantee number two, I will. I will. This speaks to a promise. I am going and I will do something when I get there. And guarantee number three is where we find the catalyst for all of this, I am. I am. This speaks of provision, power, and authority. So based on those three guarantees, I go, I will, I am, we find in our text, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus is saying, I am everything you are looking for. I am everything that you will ever need. The magnitude of this statement cannot be overemphasized. The whole of the gospel rests on these three absolutes. I am is a very intense way of referring to oneself. Jesus is literally saying, I myself and only myself and I am. Several times in the Gospels, we find Christ using these words. In Matthew 22, Jesus quotes Exodus 3, 6, where God uses the same intensive form to say, I am the God of Abraham and a God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. In John 8, 58, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say unto you before Abraham was, I am. The Jews clearly understood that Jesus was calling himself God. And they picked up stones to try to kill him. These words reflect the very name of God. I am. I am the self-existing one. Yahweh, which means to be. To be. Or self-existing. It is the name of power and authority. And Jesus claims it as his own. Folks, this is is so important. So important. You know, I have heard tragically, I I want to do this kindly but clearly, And, and too often it's said in the passing of a young person or a child, and someone would say, well, I guess God needed an angel, or I guess God needed them more in heaven than here on earth. With all the kindness I can base this on, please don't say that. 
to a grieving parent? May I be so bold. You see, the bottom line is God needs nothing. He needs no one. He was doing really, really fine, just great, before any of us were ever born. And he will continue to do just fine after we're gone. But the point is, we have this one, this one called Jesus who says, I am that God. I am equal. I am him. I created the heavens and the earth, and by my power they are sustained, and I am with all authority, self-sufficient, self-existing, need of nothing, need of no one, but I love you. Wow. I love you. And I want you, Jesus says, to know me, because if you know me, you know the Father. I am the way, verse 6, Jesus said to him, Thomas, in response to your question, don't worry, I'm the way, I am the way. Jesus distinguishes himself as the only way, the way, a path, or a route, and the disciples had expressed their confusion about where he was going and how they could follow him. If I were to come uh, along and, and you were uh, standing there on, on the sidewalk and, and I throwed open the door and I said, hop in, let's go. What is your first thought? Where are we going? <laughs> Jesus said, look, the way is in me and the destination is in me. Do you see it? So not only am I the way, but... I'm your home. I'm your final destination. There's no other path. There's no other way to the Father. Peter repeated this same truth years later to the rulers in Jerusalem saying about Jesus, salvation is found in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which they may be saved, Acts 4 and 12. The exclusive nature of the only path to salvation is expressed in these four words, I am the way. I'm the only way. Me, myself, and I am. So the subpoints, if you're looking at the outline, very quickly, Jesus is our only access to eternal life and glory. It's one thing for a person to give you directions. It's quite another for someone to say, I'm your, I'm your way and your destination. Billy Graham, the story is told of Billy Graham uh, arriving at a city one time, and uh, he had, uh, this is many, many years ago, and he had several letters that he needed to mail, and he wanted to get them out before the revival started, uh, so he would have that task completed, and there was a, a young lad standing there uh, as, as they arrived, uh, and, and, and Billy, uh, Reverend Graham went up to the little boy and says, uh, could you tell me where the post office is? I really need to, to get to the post office and mail these letters. And, of course, the little boy gave him directions to the post office. And, and uh, Dr. Graham said, thank you very much. And, by the way, I'm going to be preaching tonight at the First Baptist Church in whatever city this is. And I would like you to come because I'm going to tell you the way to go to heaven. 
And the little boy said, you don't even know how to find the post office. (laughs) Jesus told us the way. He has shown us the way. And he is the way, and the way is in him. But he's not only our access to heaven, he's the architect of our eternal home. Earlier in our text, it says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's putting the final preparations on the Father's house. I go, follow me. I will, trust me. And the place he is preparing is, is, I'm going to say this, is, is insignificant compared to his presence in it. There's an old Puritan prayer. And and within the context of that prayer, the, the statement is made, and listen very carefully because this is for emphasis. So understand it as, as how important this is. I would rather be in hell with Jesus than to be in heaven without him. You see, we sometimes, carefully now, we sometimes overemphasize the place over the person. I want to go to heaven because my Jesus is there. I want to be with Jesus wherever he's at. If he's not going to be in heaven, then I see no reason at all to go there. Is that, does that make sense? But that's the beauty. That's the beauty of his promise and the beauty of his provision. He's the architect of our eternal home. And he will be there when we arrive. And thirdly, he's the abiding presence in that eternal home. Abiding presence. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews says, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Did did the writer of Hebrews say, looking to heaven? No, he said, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And guess what Paul writes in Ephesians? Ephesians 1. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills it in all. And Paul will go on to say, and you have been raised with Christ. So where Jesus is spiritually, positionally, every believer is already right now. Hallelujah. Right now. If you're a child of God, 
positionally, you are seated in glory with him. Experientially, we still got a journey ahead of us. And the beauty of the promises of Christ is we have no clue what the journey looks like. But I know where it ends. I know where it ends. I have no idea what's going to happen in the next second. Uh, John, uh, I, I, I may be the one that's coding here any minute. And not to make light of that. But it's, it's, it's real, right? It's possible. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. I have no idea. But I know where my destination is. Because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I know where he was going. You see how clearly it comes? Secondly, I am the truth. I am the truth. Again, Jesus emphasizes himself as the only truth. The psalmist says, your law is truth. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reminded his listeners to several points of the law, then said, but I say unto you, thereby equating himself with the law of God, as the authoritative standard of righteousness, in fact, Jesus said that he came to fulfill the law. And the prophets, Jesus, the incarnate word of God, is the source of all truth. A, he is the express truth. The express truth. Philip, John 14, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. He is the expressed truth of God. Hebrews 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed to heir of all things through him. Also, he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Do you hear that? The exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins. Where'd he go? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Praise God. Secondly, he is the exclusive truth. Not a truth, but the truth to the exclusion of all other claims. And the word became flesh, John writes in chapter 1, and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as the one and only son of the father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He is also the eternal truth. The eternal truth. Because he is God, very God, being eternal in himself, everything about him is eternal. John 1 again, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word 
was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Matthew 24. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Listen, the word of God is just as eternal as the son of God because he's the incarnate word. The word of God will not pass away because the son of God will not pass away. Both are eternal. As the incarnate truth, the word of God will endure as long as he does. As several scriptures I give to you in very rapid fashion. Psalm 119, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Second verse out of Psalm 119, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Peter writes in chapter 1, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Isaiah 40, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Any questions? He, this Jesus, I proclaim to you today is God, very God, the one true living God, the son of God, and he will reign forever and his word will stand forever. Each of us can know a little truth, can't we? One truth or another, something's true, we can know. But there's only one that can claim to be the truth. The embodiment of truth. Nothing but truth. Lastly, I am the life. I am the life. Verse 6 again I read, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus had just been telling his disciples about his impending death. And now he's claiming to be the source of life. Do you see, see how that can be a little confusing? In John 10, Jesus declared that he was going to lay down his life for his sheep and then take it back again. He spoke of his authority over life and death as being granted to him by the Father. In John 14, 19, he gave the promise that because I live, you also will live. The deliverance he, has, he, he was about to provide was not political, not social, which most of the Jews were seeking, but true deliverance from a life of bondage and sin to a life of freedom and eternity. Eternal life. By the way, you're going to spend eternity somewhere. Right? It, it, it's up to you right now to choose where. Life or death. But you're, you're going to last forever. I guarantee you. So as we look at what Christ is saying, and here again, folks, we need to have a, a, a bit of perspective, which is almost impossible, if not literally impossible. But here is this man that has been trusted they borne witness to this man who'd done miracles that no one but God could do. They, they, they hung on every word. They listened carefully. They followed faithfully right up to the end when things began to come unraveled. This man that they had trusted for these three years of a very notable ministry was about to die before their very eyes. And he says right here still, I'm life. Come on. Come on. He is revealed life. He is the revealed life. John 1, 4, 
in him was life. Do not miss the language of that verse, please. In him was life. He doesn't just give life. He is life. It's in his essence. He is the bread of life. He is the living water. He's the new birth which imparts life. He is also the resurrected life. Amen. Now we're getting to Easter. He's the resurrected life. 1 Corinthians 15. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Oh my. Oh my. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, you, do you see this argument of logic? You see how it flowed from verse to verse to verse? It's just simple, simple logic. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Hallelujah. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall be made alive. Colossians 3. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. You see that emphasis again on the person of Christ, not just heaven, not just glory, not just eternal life, but the person of Christ is emphasized. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things of this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Jesus' words to Martha at, at, the, at the funeral of Lazarus, what did he say? I am the resurrection and the life, and we'll be looking at that very closely next week. Number three of subpoints: he is a receivable life. He has re been revealed he has been resurrected, and he may be received by faith. John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is the way to know God, the truth about God, and the life of God. May I repeat? He is the way to know God. He is the truth about God. And he is the life of God. Just before his death, it is said that a friend went to visit W.C. Fields in the hospital. 
And as he entered the room, he was surprised to find W.C. thumbing through the Bible. He asked him, W.C., what are you doing with the Bible? To which W.C. replied, I'm looking for loopholes. Do we laugh or do we weep? Brothers and sisters, friends, all those within the sound of my voice this morning, there are still people looking for loopholes. They're still looking for loopholes. Maybe the loophole of good works. It will fail. Maybe the loophole of church attendance. In and of itself, maybe a noble thing, but will never save you. Maybe it's the loophole of never committing certain sins. That's particularly important to some. Well, I may have sinned, but I was never. Whatever your sin, and you have one, okay, we all, not just one, but a whole bunch, was necessary. Everyone was necessary to be nailed to the cross. Every one of us is responsible for those nails. Every one of us. We're all guilty. Everybody say, I'm guilty. You're on your way to getting saved. You're on your way. I had the privilege of presiding over the service for Gary Silver yesterday. And this was also made very clear in in, in the message of his eulogy. Because Gary was a very, very respected man. Highly respected. Highly regarded. This church was packed yesterday. And I had the opportunity to tell that multitude that every one of Gary's good works got him no closer to heaven. Because Gary had already told Kenny that one thing he wanted shared at his funeral, the one thing he wanted people to remember was this. And by Gary's words, I only really excelled in one thing, and that was sinning. But by the grace of God, I'm saved. The loophole of community status, position, power. Wood, hay, and stubble, folks. Wood, hay, and stubble. It's all going to burn up in the end. There are no loopholes. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the life. I am the truth. And I am the life. And how do we follow him? How do we come to him? We admit we're sinners. We have a true heart of repentance. Not just feeling bad because you messed up. Don't, 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 don't equate that with repentance. Or especially the one, don't feel bad because you got caught. Okay? We're sinners. And there's only one Savior. There's only one who can forgive us our sins. There's only one who can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's only one who can take away our sins. There's only one who can grab up that mess, that muck, that mire that we have created and we inherited from Adam. There's only one who can take that and throw it as far as the east is from the west and remember it no more. There's only one. 
And if you know him today, you're free. You're free of all condemnation. You're free. Because if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. He is the way, follow him. He is the truth, believe in him. He is the life, experience him. He is the home for troubled hearts. Let's pray together, please. Father, may we take just a moment to allow your words, not mine, not mine, your words, the word that we have spoken this morning, the scriptures, to penetrate our hearts. May we begin to grasp just how profound this statement is, how exclusive yet liberating the claims of our Lord are. Because in Jesus, we find a way that leads to glory, a way of hope. It is a way of hope in this life. We find the truth that all of humanity longs for, and we see the life and may receive the life that will place us in his presence forever if there be anyone here today that does not know this Jesus not not a Jesus of their own making not a Jesus they'd like to have not a Jesus that they've heard about a Jesus that is revealed in your word this Jesus whom men crucified whom men buried and the one who was raised to life the Jesus of the scriptures. May they find hope and peace in him this morning. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we have our invitation hymn. If you're here this morning and the question is, at least to the degree that he has been described this morning, do you know that Jesus? Do you know that Jesus? Do you have a personal relationship, not just a concept, a personal relationship? Do you have that with this Jesus this morning? Have you been born again? Has he imparted the new life to you? If not, please, 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 don't wait another moment one heartbeat away from eternity. Are you ready? Everybody there say, I am. am. Not the I am, just you, you am. Okay? Let's sing. If you have another need too, please come to the altar. It's a great time of prayer, of fellowship, of, of maybe just making a few things right with the Lord or praying for a lost one. Praying for a, a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker. Please utilize this time to dispense some sweet fellowship with.